0: Let your merciful ears, O Lord, be open to the prayers of your humble servants, and that we may receive what we ask. Teach us by your Holy Spirit to ask only those things that are pleasing to you, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you and the same Spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. I was looking at my degree on the wall in the office today, or this week. Funny enough, I've never actually read through everything that's on that piece of paper. I don't know about you. Uh, But just happened to be daydreaming and looking at that and, and got to the part where it says, be it known to those concerned that Sean S. Templeton is given all the rights and honors with this degree conferred. I say that because all the degrees, all of the accolades of this world stand as nothing compared to what we're doing today. You really think about it for a moment. We're welcoming a son into the family, someone being transferred from being a son or a child of wrath to being a son and a child of God. What could be more important than that? What degree, what accolade could be more crucial than that? As we look at the text today, we see Jesus sending out the 12 apostles for the first time in Mark's Gospel. And Jesus gives them The authority with all the honors, privileges, and all the not so great stuff that goes with it. As we look at Mark's gospel, we see that Jesus has called these 12, he's authorized these 12, and he's charged these 12. And in some ways, this reading seems strange for a baptism. But in some ways, it seems very good because we stand in that line coming down from Jesus Christ through the apostles to us and still carry on this work today, not as apostles, but as their followers, as followers of Jesus. Open with me to the gospel passage. If you have your Bibles with you, it's Mark chapter 6, verse 7. If you don't have your Bibles with you, uh, it's also in the Scripture insert sheet. You can follow along that way. What do we see? We know that we've been traveling in Mark's gospel, and Jesus called the 12 apostles a while ago in this gospel. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me back to chapter 3, verse 14, where we read this. And he, that is Jesus, appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, and then we get the list. So do you see the first point here is that this isn't a haphazard thing Jesus is doing. Jesus doesn't just come to this point in the gospel and say, I think I'll send the twelve apostles out. No, Jesus has been planning this from the beginning. He's been discipling these 12 men to do these works on his behalf. We've seen how Jesus takes them from place to place so far in Mark's gospel. And I know, you know, we haven't all been here, so let's just review really fast what's going on. Well, they've seen Jesus confront the scribes in Mark 3.22. They've seen Jesus... Um, confront his mother and brothers in Mark 3, 31, where he says, These who follow me are my mother and brothers. We see that he's preached the parable of the sower in chapter 4. We see that he's compared the kingdom of God to a mustard seed, and that he's calmed the sea itself, the Sea of Galilee, nature, in chapter 4, verse 35. We've seen Jesus Christ heal a man with a demon, in chapter 5. And then most recently, we've seen a woman with chronic bleeding be healed and a young girl of 12 years old be raised from the dead. Then we see Jesus rejected in his own town. So remember, Jesus has had the 12 with him this whole time He's been teaching them things. They've been watching him. They've been doing things with him, accompanying him. And it's all been in preparation for this point because most scholars think that this is one of those natural divisions in Mark's gospel where we go from Jesus' limited teaching in the Galilean area to Jesus' fuller teaching around the rest of Israel. So Jesus is here sending the apostles out as a bookend to this first part of his ministry. And he's been preparing them the whole time. They've been called with a purpose. Jesus closes this first part of Mark's gospel not just calling the disciples to himself, but calling them with a specific thing in mind. And they've witnessed over and over again what they're to do. So let's look at that. Again, Mark chapter 6, verse 7. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the clean spirits. Let's stop there for a moment. So he sends them out two by two. Why? Is there something to do? Is there some reason that he sends them out two by two? Do you have any thoughts? That's how Noah did it? Well, that's true. Noah calls the animals two by two, right? Yeah. Sure. What's that? To support one another. Absolutely. And this is one of the first big points that ties together with the baptism, that when we're called to Jesus Christ and when we're sent out to talk about Jesus Christ, God doesn't call us merely as individuals with ourselves and God. Rather, he calls us into community, calls us into being a part of something, part of his family, part of the kingdom of God, part of the family, part of the kingdom of heaven, all of those things can be said synonymous with what's going on with Jesus calling people to himself. And and, um, what we're doing today in baptism, we're not just calling Eli to be independently a disciple of Jesus. Instead, we're calling him to be part of a community, to be part of a family. That's, That's why we And uh, we've talked about this a lot. That's why we do infant baptism here in the Anglican tradition. Because it's not just about him. It's about us vowing for him. It's about his parents, his godparents saying, yes, by our faith, we say, you're part of the faith, Eli. You're part of God's chosen. You're part of the family. And then, of course, when he comes of age, he'll make that decision for himself and profess Jesus Christ on his own at confirmation. But right now he's called into community and Jesus sends out the disciples the apostles two by two because they need that community and Jesus knows that. There's no lone ranger Christians. If you're a lone ranger Christian, you're soon going to be picked off by the enemy. But there's another important point here. Like the apostles called two by two, So we are called into community, but also in Jewish law, there's an important thing to having two people present. Now, this is a little bit more esoteric in your Bible knowledge, right? A little bit more back there. You'd have to think back to the Old Testament law. Why do you suppose Jesus calls them two by two aside from to have support and community? In case one of them drops dead? Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's definitely a possibility. That's not what I was going for, though. What's that? Yes, okay. So you've got, you do have in the old, I, I see where you're going. You were just, yeah, I see where you're going. In the Old Testament law, there was a second priest in case the first one dropped dead. Yeah, but, um, and, and actually there's a whole interesting thing to that where they had a rope tied around them so they could pull them out of the Holy of Holies, but... Anyway, that's another sermon. Barney, I heard you say it. As a witness, as a witness, we actually see the word martyr used later in this passage. And so Jesus is calling them two by two because in Jewish law, you needed a witness to verify what you were saying. So for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, or Numbers 35, 30, I'll read the Deuteronomy passage just to keep us moving. God commands, on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. So do you see, already in the Jewish mind, there's this idea that if something important is going to be brought and said, there has to be verification. There has to be confirmation. There has to be more more than one. There has to be two proclaiming that truth. And let's not forget the purpose for which he called the 12. He gave them authority, it says. The Greek word here is exousia, meaning power, privilege, ability, authority. It's a bestowal of a legal right upon them. And in the rest of Greek literature, you see this where like a king will call a messenger to himself and bestow, confer upon him this authority. Or a judge might do this to an agent of the court, saying, you represent the court. That's the word that's being used here when it says that Jesus gave them authority, exousia. So the apostles are not just called to carry good news as the messenger, but they're given Jesus' authority over both nature and supernature, over both the physical and the metaphysical there are two things that he overtly authorizes them for. What are they? Look at verse 12 and verse 7. Or verse Yeah, verse 12 and verse 2, rather. 7, I'm sorry. My sweat's getting in my eye. <laughs> and he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. There's one, right? And down in verse 12... So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Repent. The word there for repent is to turn around, to turn away from what they're doing, to stop and do a 180. So those are the two things that Jesus authorizes them to do. And then there's a third one that comes on the heels of that, because there's something that always comes with salvation, and that can be found in verse 13, And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil, and many who were sick were healed. You see, healing comes with salvation. Not always in the form of immediate physical healing, but there's always a a form of wholeness, of restoration that happens with salvation. So... Let's look at these three things. The casting out. They're to go out into battle against the devil and his work as agents of Jesus Christ, as those authorized with that power. That's an important part of the work of God. Part of the gospel is to free those who are oppressed, right? The disciples saw Jesus do this with a man that was oppressed by a demon. And so they're to carry on this work by casting out excuse me, by casting out those who are spiritually oppressed. We see Jesus talk about this in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 4, verse 17. Luke, Jesus, you'll remember the passage. Jesus has, has been invited to speak in the synagogue. He unrolls the scroll and he reads this passage from Isaiah. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and a recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What's Jesus saying? Today, the kingdom of God is here in me, Jesus Christ. There's so much more to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ than handing out tracts or going door to door just talking about the church, although it might very well start there. Practically here, however, there's an antecedent. There is a first step that has to happen before that. There's a call to repentance. Think about this for a second. Jesus is asking these twelve men to go around in their own towns in Galilee and tell people they need to repent. Stop doing what you're doing there to tell them and follow God. Be free from possession and illness and follow God. If you were intimidated by the thought of casting out demons this thought may be even more frightening. Think about this. To go to those in your family, your friends, your hometown, and say, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. How many of us would want to do that by ourselves? Not me. This isn't just handing out cards that light up Lakewood, inviting people to church, right? This is something much more And in the Jewish context, it makes full sense that there'd be two of them going along. Finally, Jesus tells them, he charges them rather, to take nothing. Look with me at verse 8. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. Why does he do that? Well, staff and sandals seems legit, right? I got my uh, sandals on today. Good for walking. Staff to help you go down the pathway. But no money, no bag, no extra tunic. What's that saying to them? Have faith and it'll be provided. Bingo, exactly. Have faith and it'll be provided. No extra tunic. Why, you know, in, in the ancient world, you'd wear two tunics when you went down the road. Why do you suppose that? It wasn't just so because if you got sweaty and you, know, you needed to change your clothes. You'd wear two tunics if you were going somewhere and sleeping out at night under the stars because it gets cold in the desert. So what's the saying to them? that not only can they depend upon God for everything, but that God's going to make a way for them to be welcome into people's homes. That's got to be reassuring, because they've got to be thinking, what, I'm going to go tell these people to repent, and they're going to bring me into their house and feed me dinner? Yes, Jesus says, yes. They were to believe entirely on God, that the Holy Spirit would warm people's hearts to God's message. But notice also in verse 11, there's what? The promise of rejection. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So Jesus isn't candy-coating the truth here to them either. He's saying, look, people are going to reject you. This is going to happen. Here's what you do when that happens in the Jewish world, to shake the dust off of your feet was to say, I have nothing more to do with you. When the Jews would go abroad into a pagan country, they would come home from that journey. They would take off their sandals and shake the dust from their feet because pagan soil did not belong in God's holy land. So what Jesus is saying here about that is you have witnessed to them. You've done what you've done, and the Holy Spirit will do what he will do, but it's not up to you anymore. It's not up to you anymore. You can't convert. You can't bring someone into the truth that doesn't want to know the truth, right? Scholar William Lane writes that the Jews would shake off the dust of the pagans as they entered their own homes. And God is acting through the apostles here. Let's continue with verse 12. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. While we are not all called, and certainly we're not authorized to be apostles, we're called to Jesus with a purpose. We're authorized, just as the apostles were, to preach what? Repentance and salvation. And and we're charged by God to completely trust in Him. This very day is... Fulfilling this is fulfilled in action every day in our lives. Today, as one who is ordained in the name of the church, I speak and will, I will speak to Eli and call him to be a part of God's family. In the baptismal service, you'll notice the first part is a call to repentance. In the old prayer book, it was called the exorcism. Why? Because all of us are fallen. All of us have fallen short of God. All of us need to repent and turn away from our sins, even a young child who's inherited that. We're also called to reject the world, the flesh, and the devil. That too is repentance. And after he repents, then he is transferred, as Ephesians 2.3 says, from a child of wrath to a son of God. He's anointed with oil of the catechumen or exorcism. He turns to Jesus Christ. We profess his faith. We receive him into the Christian faith. And we promise to help him turn to Jesus, receive Jesus, obey God, which is something that none of us can do outside of the church and outside of the Holy Spirit. As the congregation, then, you are called to uphold him in his faith, to confess for yourselves, to renew your faith, Creed. Your participation in the Apostles' Creed. Finally, Eli will be sealed with holy chrism in the sign of the cross. The ultimate healing. The ultimate anointing with oil. And he will be told to confess Christ crucified and to fight bravely under his banner and be his servant. Today, Eli and you and I are united in a part of the story. We're united with Jesus and the apostles as one is again called to Jesus, as one again is authorized to proclaim him, as one who's charged to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil, as a servant, as a son. There is no more important thing in the life of a human being, do you see? there is no greater honor or accolade to be bestowed upon a person than what we're doing today. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks that you have called us, you've authorized us, you've charged us to walk in your ways, to follow in the the steps of the 12, to bring people to know and love you. Holy Spirit, give us the power, the ability, the resolution to do this in helping Eli the rest of his life to know and love you. Help us to have that same concern for each other as covenant members of a community. Lord Jesus, finally, help us remember our baptism. That we might be faithful to it as your servants now and forever. Amen.